Hi, this is Megan Jaffer, co-founder and co-host of Iron Butterfly Podcast. During our kickoff episode for season five, we mentioned that you might notice that some episodes this season include corporate sponsorships. We are thrilled to share that our season five finale will feature women leaders from our first ever corporate sponsor, AWS. We want to thank AWS for their support and collaboration, and especially Amber Nichols and Yvette Cesario for sharing their stories with us and introducing our amazing season finale podcast guest, Arlene Gaylord. If you're interested in learning more about sponsorship opportunities for your company or organization, please reach out to us at podcast at ironbutterflymedia.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Iron Butterfly Podcast, sponsored by the National Security Institute and the Amazing Women of the IC, better known as AWIC. My name is Megan Jaffer. And I'm Katie Hopkins. And we will be your hosts. 80 years ago, Eloise Page joined the Office of Strategic Services, or the OSS, a predecessor for what we recognize today as the United States intelligence community. Page started as a secretary, but worked her way to becoming a case officer, and later she became the first female chief of station at CIA. Along the way, she earned the nickname Iron Butterfly, known for being a fierce fighter with a core of steel. The Iron Butterfly podcast aims to continue her legacy, inviting the U.S. intelligence community's unsung heroines to share their stories with aspiring IC leaders. Hi, everyone. My name is Yvette Cesario, and I'm a director at AWS within our national security organization. And I am a longtime listener, but first time caller here on Iron Butterfly. So I'm so excited to be here and support this amazing production and team. Thank you all so much, Megan, Katie, and Amanda for having Amber and I. I started my career with the IC right out of college. I attended and played volleyball at Rice University and then fortunately got a job. Yay with a technology company where I was supposed to move back to my hometown in the Silicon Valley in California. But between when I accepted that position and when I was slated to start, the market conditions had changed. And so that role was no longer available. Fortunately, the public sector business was still going strong, was still stable. So I was able to explore opportunities across the state and local and other federal teams. Um, but when I met the members of the team supporting national security, I remember thinking a few things. First, is this real? They actually are working with the CIA and NSA. And at the time, those were probably the two agencies that I actually recognized the names of. But then secondly, it was, you know, gosh, this team and these people feel like they have a real purpose. And I didn't have the words at the time, but I think what I felt was their sense of mission. So fast forward now, uh, I've been supporting the community for over 15 years, and it's just been amazing an opportunity to support the incredible mission and work that this community does for our nation every day. So I've been at AWS now for over nine years and I just feel so fortunate to have been able to embark on this journey with the intelligence community as they've tackled digital transformation. So not just moving to the cloud, but modernizing legacy mission systems and innovating to create net new mission capabilities that leverage the speed, scale, and agility that cloud can enable. Through that time, I've also had four children. So it's been quite an amazing journey and a lot of growth for me professionally and personally in my life. Um, so that's been an awesome opportunity. But, you know, we at AWS right now, we recognize the importance and necessity to operationalize emerging technologies such as AI and ML, generative AI, quantum, and to be, provide the compute power to the community needed to leverage this technology to ultimately win the technology race that our adversaries are working so hard to do and to maintain our strategic and decision advantage 
which is so critical in the world now more than ever. So please find me on LinkedIn. Um, my name's Yvette with a Y, Cesario. And I just look forward to connecting and meeting the amazing women of the community, of the intelligence community, and this Iron Butterfly audience. So thanks so much for having us. Hello, hello. Good morning. My name is Amber Nicholas, and I'm the Principal Account Executive within the NatSec Division at Amazon Web Services. So I always knew I wanted to be a part of this community from my early years, from junior programs at CIA, FBI as early as high school to going through FBI special recruit programs after college. Let's just say I was really well behaved through high school and college for these reasons. (laughs) I've been a part of this community for about 15 years now, over five of those back home at EWS. I can tell you, anyone who knows me knows what you see is what you get. Now, I will say there are a lot of dudes at AWS, but I will also say there there's no other organization I've been a part of that encourages this authenticity uh, more than at Amazon. I'm a mama bear at heart with three little ones of my own, protective to my core and passionate about the IC's mission. It allows me, AWS allows me to bring all of those together and service our country. I'm so honored to collaborate with Iron Butterfly alongside with these inspiring women of the IC. And I hope to get to know all of you in the near future. For those who want to meet me or learn more about AWS, I invite you to reach out. I'm on LinkedIn or visit aws.amazon.com to learn more about the support within our IC. On this episode, Iron Butterfly sits down with Arlene Gaylord, Executive Assistant Director at FBI. Arlene began her FBI career as an honors intern, and soon became a full-time FBI employee as a Spanish language specialist, later as an intelligence analyst, and today as a senior executive. Arlene has 32 plus years of experience and continuous growth within the FBI. She is dedicated to empowering others in several roles, including serving as the first chair of the FBI Director's Diversity Executive Council and running a mentoring program since 2013. Enjoy Enjoy the the episode. episode! We have been waiting for this. I cannot tell you how excited we are to have you. We've been waiting for this conversation. I know the listeners are going to fall in love with you like we did. And we just can't wait to jump in. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) And I'm nervous. So let's just get that. Hi, thank you for having me. Okay, let's all take a deep breath. I thought you were going to count or something. So oh, no. <laughs> I'm more nervous than before. Oh, anyway. sorry. Okay. So, you know, we always joke that we start each episode by saying, let's start from the beginning, because it sounds funny because most people don't want to know about your childhood and all of that, but we actually do. I know a little bit about you now, but I would love for you to share with the listeners a little bit about what formed you, how you grew up, where you mm-hmm. came from, and what got you to kind of where you are today. Well, I love that question. If I had a hashtag, it would be hashtag not supposed to be here. Um, And so I'm literally a little girl from Rio Piedras, Puerto Rico, which is uh, right on the outskirts of San Juan, metropolitan area in Puerto Rico. And I always wanted to do one of two things, either, and I thought this is going to be surprising to many of people who listen, (laughs) either be on Broadway or work for the Bureau. Um, And uh, I love musical theater, but going and getting a criminal justice degree exposed me that clearly what I wanted to do was be in the Bureau. And so I applied for the FBI's honors internship in the early 90s. And I applied to the San Juan field office. And my father, I'd never heard back. So you need to understand there were no computers. I had to like type my application. Yeah, uh, It's like 1991. And uh, my father 
knows that I really want this and I haven't heard back from the FBI. I haven't heard back from the FBI. And he goes to an event. And at this event, the special agent in charge of the San Juan field office was speaking. And he made the mistake of saying something to the effect of, we're really looking for qualified Latino and Latinas who can speak Spanish. And so I am my father's daughter for sure. So he waits until he's done. And he says, basically calls him out. You're full of it. My daughter, Arlene, is at the American University in Washington, D.C., and she submitted her application. Nobody has called her. It's been like three months. I love that. Flash forward. Oh all, all of a sudden, I get my interview. I go through the process really quick, and I begin the internship. Um, and again, not supposed to be here. You go in the internship. It's not what it is now. You come into today's internship, you can leave with a conditional job offer. That wasn't a thing in 1991. So my dad's like, if you want the bureau, you need to find a way to stay. Mija, you need to find a way to stay. And so I told someone, hey, I go to college right here and I want to stay. They wrote a guy's name down and I went to see a guy and I said, I don't want to leave. And he says, well, what can you do? And I said, anything. As long as it's part time, I got to finish. I'm going to college at AU. And back then to be a clerk, a non-agent, you didn't need a college degree, but I was finishing my college degree. Um, And he said, well, how about tours? Would you be interested in giving tours? And I'm like, yeah. And I think back then it was something like $18,000 a year or something part time. But I got a permanent job offer with the FBI to be a GS5 tour guide. So the internship's a GS6, um, but I jumped at the chance. And so keeping with that theme of I'm not supposed to be here, I brought this picture of me and my dad. Um, this is the 1990s polyester uh, clip-on tie tour guide uh, uniform of the FBI back in the day. And it's hard to imagine if you've been to the FBI today after 9-11, what it was like back then. Uh, even though it's brutalistic in its architecture, Jagu would believe it to be the people's building. And so I give my dad a tour. We fire these weapons, Tommy guns, and then we head to the courtyard. Courtyard is open at the time, full of life, full of people. And he turns to me and he says, Mija, someday you're going to be a senior executive. And I looked at him and I said, Papa, tu estás loco. You're crazy. <laughs> like, look around, dad. And literally, if you looked around, there was no one who looked like us. No one, right, from my background. Not a lot of women. No managers that I saw. Uh, and I wasn't an agent. I kept telling Dad, I'm not an agent. That's going to be a central theme, right, in kind of like the story. But he was right. <laughs> and so um, my career after doing that has been a career of leaping, right? And the beauty of the Bureau is that you can have many careers in one. So I came in June 2nd of 1991. So it's 32 years and change now. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And my whole career has been finding a way to keep growing in responsibility and growing personally so that I could stay. Well, when you're not an agent in the FBI, there were things that we weren't literally allowed to do. So now um, that same courtyard, right? I look over as the executive assistant director of the information technology branch to get there. Three careers. The first before 9-11 as a linguist, I was a Spanish linguist, was mostly focused on the drug war, um, traditional language specialist, language analyst work. Mm-hmm. 9-11 happened. I was a supervisor in the San Diego field office uh, as a linguist, and they posted this job called intelligence analyst. And I call my dad and I say, Pop, I want to do this. He's like, Mija, jump jump. This is the future, right? So that's career two, right? And rose up those ranks. Who would have thought 
that I would find myself in my first executive job of section chief of language services, right? As a chief linguist, um, then the head of EEO. All I wanted to do was lead people and a second assistant director job running information management division. And then having director Ray ask me to do this job um, as the EAD of information and technology, which is something that is not something I could have even imagined. And I love him because he saw that for me, just the way my dad, uh, my dad did, but not an agent, right? <laughs> and not something that that anyone expected, especially me. So I think if I had a hashtag, it would be hashtag not supposed to be here. I actually would love to just talk about this photo. I was going to say that. And I want to tell our listeners that they, I know they can't see it, but we are going to post it on social media when we, when we um, post about the episode. So you will see it. But I would love for you to narrate this picture a little bit. Like what is going on with this picture? Tell us why this is so meaningful to you. So this is one of my prized possessions. So I lost him in 2017. Now I want to tell you, he was a two-star general in the U.S. Army. Uh, much like me, I think he would probably say his tag, his hashtag is wasn't supposed to be here. Poor kid from a little town called Comerillo, Puerto Rico. And met my mom at the University of Puerto Rico. She's a looker and she had books. <laughs> And his uh, scholarship, his ROTC scholarship, I don't think included them. And thank you, mom and dad, because I'm here. But what you see is I've just given him a tour. Um, and I actually look just like him, uh, but with hair. Um, and now that I'm going gray, I, my mom will tell you that I look a lot like him. But I have just uh, taken him on a tour of the FBI building. And he's so proud. You can see he's kind of beaming. And uh, we got to do a live firearms demonstration, fire the Tommy guns. And he was so proud. Uh, and, and I'm sure he's proud looking down today. I'm but sure. uh, every time that I achieve something, he, he and my mom both are the reason why I'm here, right? Is this legacy of public service that I just can't find any, anywhere else but the IC. I've done interviews with other private sector companies, but this feeds my soul. The, the Bureau, the mission, and its people is what feeds my soul. Thank you for asking. Oh, my God. And you that. know what they did for me after he passed? Our head of finance actually got this picture fixed because it's really old, right? And it hangs right out at the end of our FBI experience tour, right where I got my start. So oh. it just means a lot to me. Well, and what it means to other people coming into that building and seeing themselves in that picture. I think that's that's very important. And what we try to aim to do here is show our audience, you know, this is what the IC is. This is what national security is. You can find yourself inside. There is someone like you. Um, totally. And thanks for bringing the picture I so I can be here with us. Well, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I, I think I'm taking him along because I'm sure he's listening from heaven and probably so excited that he gets to be here too. I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. So I, I do, I, I mean, I can't let this go. Not related, but the, one of the first things you said was either <laughs> you were going to be a Broadway star yes. or you were going to work. Do people ask you to sing? Have you? Oh, you I sing all the time. No one at headquarters has asked me to sing yeah. because I won't. Um, but Will come you sing for us now. Come, no, <laughs> I won't. Uh, but at the at the end of the day, I still lead worship in church. Like I still singing is very much a part of who I am. Yeah. And for my team, uh, who sits like right outside my office, I'm always singing show tunes. Uh, do you and, guys have dance parties? Uh, we do not that that they know of. Oh. <laughs> Are you guys a little buttoned up? 
No, so we're not. I, I think that's the number one stereotype of the bureau that's not true. Really? Right? Is, is 32 years. My, hus- my husband's also a career FBI. Oh. And we're just normal people and we're fun as heck. Like mm-hmm. I have a good time every single day, even on the very worst days because of the quality of the people. Uh, in the beer and the IC. I really love to hear that. We're going to come back, I think, um, because I do, I want to ask you more about your time there. Can I ask one question really quick before we get off of Broadway? So if you were to say, now having served this 32-year career at FBI, what actually are the similarities between Broadway and... Oh my gosh. So that's a great question. And actually, American University did an article about the value of a liberal arts education, Mm. right? So because of my background, and I actually had enough credits probably to close to either minor or double major in criminal justice and musical theater at a U. It's probably a good thing because the guys probably make fun of me if they saw that on my bio now, <laughs> right? But part of the reason I think why I'm successful is because of my ability to connect with people. And I can connect with people because even if I'm nervous, right, I'm there, yeah. right? And that very much comes. Uh, one of my teachers was Gail Humphreys and uh, she and I are still friends on Facebook and she might listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. right? But she taught me so much uh, about how to connect and kind of break down walls and be my genuine self um, that I think that that's been a large part of my success, right? Is I don't pretend to be fancy executive Arlene. Like this is, uh, and I think the team that's here will tell you, this is me a hundred percent all the time. Um, sometimes I have to regulate and be a little <laughs> bit calmer, but most of the times we're, we're uh, this high energy, but I could not have done it without that liberal arts education, specifically the theater training, getting up and talking in front of people, right? And not being nervous and learning to connect. Uh, it's really helped me be successful. I, Katie and I talk about this a lot. Um, you know, we've worked for many good leaders and some mm-hmm. not so good leaders. And I think what, what, um, is one of our pet peeves on the negative side, but on the positive side is the good leaders are their authentic selves mm-hmm. and you can connect with them. Mm-hmm. And the ones that get into senior positions and become all of a sudden the senior person and kind of mm-hmm. uppity and buttoned up. And I mean, I mean, I'll tell you, I'm my father's daughter. Like he would walk out the troops. I can remember as a little kid walking out in a sea of camouflage, right? his smile, his handshake, right? He would carry coins in his pocket. I give out pins. Like I'm very much his daughter in that way, right? Because I think he would be, I know the best compliment I can get is, wow, I can't believe you're a senior. Because that means I'm doing something right. You know who would also love that comment is our other Puerto Rican, Iron Butterfly, Carmen Carmen Medina. Medina. Oh my God. So one of the reasons I'm so nervous is because, oh my God, Carmen Medina, like she's been (laughs) on this podcast, right? Uh, She's incredible. And, and I think that, that I wouldn't change a thing. And if people ask me to change, I think one of the reasons I said yes, right? Because at this point you don't apply, the director asks you is because I believe so wholeheartedly in his vision and that I can see that he sees me, right? And I'm allowed to be me. That's a compliment to him. That's a very good compliment to him. He's, there's a great, uh, when you're an SES or you can't get awards, there's only one, the presidential rank award. And I received that for mentoring, which I love him seeing me for. Yeah, I've done great operational things, great intelligence things, but there's an amazing picture of him. And I wish I would have brought that where 
he, everybody else brought in like their spouse, maybe. I brought in like my whole crazy, a bunch of Puerto Ricans, crazy Puerto Ricans. And it. he's in the picture, he's smiling, looking at them and me kind of like, he gets it, mm-hmm. right? So uh, he's, he really sees you. Oh, he really sees me. Like the day he told me I was wearing like a green seersucker suit. You know, you guys can't <laughs> see me because this is, you'll probably see a picture of my head is shaved, right? I'm not your traditional looking executive. Uh, but I'm here, right? Because he could see me here. And that's just so great. So you said a couple of times, uh, your hashtag would be, I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah. And, you know, we all struggle with this idea of imposter syndrome. Yeah. Everybody does. I, I don't care who you are and how senior you are. You still have a little bit, I think, mm-hmm. of that in you. And I heard you say um, before that the wolf you feed is the wolf that grows and you need to feed the right wolf. Correct. Could you explain that to us? Yeah, don't feed the wrong wolf. So here's the thing. I'm the first Latina EAD at the Bureau, right? I'm a non-agent. Every day, I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? Like they're going to... And I learned, and I think it was right around when I'm 53 now. So right around when I turned 50 that I'm feeding the wrong thing and I lean into the imposter syndrome. And I think that comes, so I talked about my dad. Let me talk about my mom, Ceci. She's 81 and an absolute badass. I'm not sure I'm allowed to say that, but yes. I just did, <laughs> right? But um, she taught me to to have an optimistic lens in everything that I do. And so for so long, I had a negative lens about the imposter syndrome. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm never going to beat this. No one else has beat this. Let me lean in. Mm-hmm. Right. And I realized that that feeling is a good thing. Right. It's a, it's a feeling of humility. It's a feeling of being excited to be there. And I realized that's why people follow. Right. Is because they know that I'm just like them and I'm not this fancy, you know, person up on a tower. But I'm so grateful. There's something magical. Wait till you guys turn 50. Right. There's something magical about getting to that age where you're just comfortable in your own skin. Um, and I've just leaned the hell in uh, to the imposter syndrome and realized, hey, listen, it's okay for me to feel that way. That means I appreciate like where I've got and how I got there and what I get the honor to do every day. Do you think it's possible to have imposter syndrome, but still to know that you belong? So I don't feel that I don't belong. Um, I am really blessed uh, because I've always had, really my allies have been men. My, my sponsors have been men. If I look for someone like me, I'm looking in the mirror, guys. <laughs> like there's one. Um, and so it's not that I don't feel like I belong, but I'm very conscious because I've always been told I can't do something because that's always been an agent, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't belong. It's just that I've had to show um, by doing kind of like this crazy non-traditional career path that I can do the things I need to do. Right. And then have these amazing leaders like the director, the deputy and the ADD be able to be agnostic of my position and see me for what I bring to the table. Right. And I think that says phenomenal things about them as leaders. It says phenomenal thing about them as men. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But that's why it's not that I don't belong. It's just that because of the requirements of the jobs, it's always just been agents. Yeah. Right. And I've been blessed with the women in my life. Uh, I love Shannon uh, and she's my person. Right. And we believe in each other. And we, we think about collecting credentials, not injustices. 
right? So when, when we're told, hey, we can't do this because of why, well, what do I do to get why? Mm. Right? What can I do to get experiences similar yeah. to, because I honestly, I found my conditional job offer to be an agent uh, in the 90s that I turned down. Um, and that was 100% the right choice for me, right? I just don't see myself doing that role. But I'm really grateful. Like I said, it's not that I don't feel like I belong, but it's just that when you're the first, right, you just kind of kind of keep pushing that rock up the hill. There's nothing special about me being the one that made it. It's just I got up one more time mm. uh, than all the times I was knocked down. It's so important. Perseverance is like one of my favorite words. Mm-hmm. Um, you just got to... You can you can get knocked down. You can revel in it for a little bit, but then you gotta you gotta keep moving. You gotta keep going. And yeah, and you choose. And, and here's yeah. what I tell people: is Have I had bad things happen to me in my life? Yes, I have. Right, I choose joy. Mm. And I think what people will tell you the most about me is like, is she that way all the time? <laughs> Hell yes, I'm this way all the time. I'm just happy to be alive, right? And I'm happy to be doing the things that I'm doing. Man, you guys are lucky. Um, also for those who don't know Arlene's team is with us in the back in the back I'm so happy they're here they're my wooby we get some moves from the back (laughs) you guys can do better than that let's try that one more time come on one two three yeah (laughs) so you mentioned um, you know the first, like do, yeah. being the first, and you've had a lot of firsts, yeah. being the first of a lot of things. Yeah. And so I want you, I think we, we should talk about those first because they have all been really amazing. And um, I, I want people to hear, especially young women, that the even if the glass ceiling is not broken for whatever you're trying to do, you can still rise and you can still do it and you can be the first yeah. and you shouldn't be afraid of that. So could you share some of your firsts with us? Yeah. So, so really being a senior executive, the first was one of my mentors, Margaret Collada was the first to run language services. So I got to see, uh, and you've talked to Stephanie LaRue, see her be her, right? I had someone to see who was a woman who was professional staff who did that job. And so I got to do my mentor's job, right? Uh, probably the most significant was in 2016, being named the first Latina assistant director. Uh, And that is a really conflicting feeling, right? Because they tell you, like the person's like, how does it feel to be? And I'm like, you're lying. It's 2016, right? That's not true. And they dug in and yeah, it is true. Um, But I really, again, channeling my mom and the optimist is I'm not going to be the last. And I wasn't. And then 2023, first Latina EAD, right? I'm not going to be the last, mm-hmm. right? And and it's all about Puerto Rican moms. We're hard. <laughs> We're hard, right? And I'm so blessed to have her in my life. She lives with me, right? It's like, what are you going to do? Cry about it? Like, what action are you going to take yeah. to change it, right? And and that's really what, what I focus on instead of focusing on, oh my God, what if I screw up, right? Because there's all sorts of bad negative things, but she taught me and my upbringing taught me, right? that that's not going to get me anywhere. Yeah. What are you going to do? Cry about it, right? <laughs> and I always like will tell myself that, 
basically, like, what, what can I do about it? And so there's lots of things that I've chosen to do about it to make sure that I'm not the last. I love that. Well, so I'm kind of curious. I wanted to go back a little bit. You talked at the beginning a little bit about like your three careers yeah. at FBI. Three and a half if you count the tour guide, which I, yeah. I do. Um, wh- how would you actually describe for someone who is aspiring to work at the Bureau one day and maybe on Broadway? Like, how would you describe the day-to-day of those things? Like, what were you actually doing? What, like, what was your favorite parts about those jobs? So I would say the common thread is always people, right? Is I'm interacting with people, helping people, right? As a linguist, helping people understand, right? Whether it be the agent that I'm translating for or a victim that I'm translating for, right? For me, my my true north is people. So as a linguist, it was the people. As an analyst, it was the people, mm-hmm. right? What I did was slightly different. I was thinking critically. I was writing in an expository way and I was briefing, right? And I was good at it, but it didn't feed my soul, right? The work didn't feed my soul. Why, uh, why not? So most of my time, at least at the entry level executive was like reviewing product and doing coordination, right? And I really like getting into it, uh, like more of the coaching aspect and the leading leaders part of it and the growing and developing leaders part of it. Right. And and when you're working threats, it's harder. So I feel like the soft side of the bureau, the human resources, right, kind of like the what you call the backroom functions, right, are where my happy place is. Mm. Right. Because it's all about supporting the people. Intelligence analyst work was great. I was really good at it. Right. But I was just finding my place uh, is really in the in leadership development. Right. Yeah. And where else can you do that? when you continue to move through the organization and get exposed to more and more leaders of different types. What about as a senior executive? So as a senior executive, what I love about my job is it's never, ever boring, right? And I can think that I know what I'm going to be doing. Uh, but someone asked me the other day, what do you do? I, I listen. Uh, I think about what I've heard. And then together with an amazing team, uh, we work to make the best decisions on behalf of the organization. Uh, and really the epic mission of the FBI to protect uh, the American people and uphold the Constitution is, again, it's an easy thing to get people around. Um, but working with other leaders to listen right, on threats, to listen on risk, to, and then make the very best decisions. Uh, if you're a good decision maker, if you're collaborative, right, uh, if you're not afraid of change, this is like a dream job. I'm, I'm the ADHD. You spent, what, 35 minutes with me, and you can see that, mm-hmm. right? But it's the perfect job. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect job for me because no day is the same. Uh, and the work that we do is so important. I mean, in the information and technology branch, like I know what it means as an end user because I was here when we had no computers, <laughs> right? And now everything that we do relies on those systems. So it is just like, I'm so proud to say, right? My team keeps that moving. We keep the trains running on time to empower our people to do this really crazy important job. But as a senior executive, I think it's great that you caught on to that, right? That it's been trying to find a way to stay, right? To keep learning and growing, uh, but at the same time, feed the wolf I want to feed, right? Which is the people. Um, And as an EAD, right, I have such a great broad scope of things that I get to do every day and people I get to interact with and help. Um, But the people have always been the thing. Before we started this episode, we were talking off, uh, like off mic about 
um, having you back once we have our um, video capability on YouTube. And I would love to do an episode with you and some of your people on mic because I can just feel what like a collaborator you are and how it is not a one person show. It is all about team. And I would love for people to hear you can have that, it, it, you know, in this community and it is a collaborative space and mm-hmm. you seem to be the epitome of that. And I just think it would be amazing to have. I think that's what kind of makes me different. Like if I hadn't had that secret sauce of being able to get along, I have to tell people work hard. Yeah. Arlene, what's your secret? I work hard and I'm kind. Right. And at the end of the day, people who freaking hate me will pick me to be on the team anyways, because they know we're going to win. Right. And they know it's not going to suck. Like I'm a good person. Just be a good person. Show up, work hard, be kind. Uh, And it seems simple because it is right. (laughs) For some reason, it's not easy, but uh, I think it's that simple. So you mentioned um, a little bit earlier about uh, mentoring and winning an award um, for your mentoring program. Mm -hmm. And I've heard you say, I think this is related to your mentoring program. You spot, assess, and develop. I do. And so I'd love for you to just share with us about this mentoring program and a little bit more about, you know, spot, assess, and develop. So uh, mentors changed my life. And it was mentors who found me. So when you're a minority and you're a female and you're a non-agent, right, um, it's really hard. And so people have no problem finding me, right? Those outspoken people, right? Those people who, who are like, hey, hey, help me, help me. Yeah. I really focus my practice on the people that I spot like in nature, And and so one of my favorite stories of how I picked up a mentee was I'm pretty nice, um, but there's a dispatcher Arlene. Uh, My husband called me dispatcher Arlene. When I get work, I don't yell. I don't raise my voice, but I'm not bubbly. Uh And it's a very palpable, like once you work with me, they're like, oh my God. Right. It kind of like, so this intern, this young intern one time asked me a question on an email and I wasn't mean because even at my meanest, I'm still pretty darn nice. Right. But I was, I was shorter than I normally would be. And so he was so gracious. I like looked him up on our instant messenger. I'm not going to call him out here, but he knows who he is and I'm sure he'll listen. (laughs) Right. And it said student workforce trainee. So I knew he was an intern and I picked up the phone and said, Hey young man, my name is Arlene Gaylord. He's like, AD Gaylord. I'm like, yes, you just sent me an email. Hey, I'm really sorry. I was kind of short with you. Uh, you really impressed me because you really kind of met me with grace. I was having kind of a rough day. Do you have a mentor? And this young man has been to the Academy more than once. I want to say he was an SOS. He's an agent now, right? But it's those people, right? Not the ones that lift their hand um, to say, hey, me, hey, me, that I look for, that have those traits, the collaborative traits and, and the critical thinking traits that I get to be exposed to every day right? That don't have the courage to say, hey, can you mentor me? Wow. He was a lucky guy. I know. <laughs> he was, he was shaking in his boots. I'm sure he was. <laughs> I felt so bad. When I, and then at my, I, like I showed my husband, I was like, you weren't mean. My husband was like, even on your meanest day, you're not mean. Um, but I wasn't like bubbly self, right? Because mm-hmm. I was kind of like in the moment, in the email tyranny um, that we face every day. But Totally. One other thing you mentioned too, which I would love to talk about is taking leaps. And I think sometimes 
we forget to talk about like what that really feels like. Like if you were to talk to someone about like what taking a leap really felt like for you <laughs> yes. and like how you overcame that, what would you say? So I'm going to tell you a story. I'm a storyteller, uh, like my father, and it involves my father. Um, so my one of my earliest memories in, in Puerto Rico, Fort Buchanan, Puerto Rico, is where I went through school, K through 12. There's Armed Forces Day. And that's like a day that the soldiers get to bring their kids in and do cool things. Uh, my dad was a paratrooper, 82nd Airborne, and uh, he jumped out of perfectly good planes. And apparently before you do that, you do like things to get there. One of them is jumping off a stationary tower, which for me as a five-year-old, one of my earliest memories looked like it was like 10,000 feet. And I'm going to Puerto Rico for Christmas. So I want to, I wonder if it's probably not there anymore, but it's probably what, 30, 40 feet. I don't know. But at five, it, like, I was like, oh my God. It's a skyscraper. Right. So we go up there and one of his, his soldiers was doing the thing. Like there's like carabiners and ropes and like a vest. And, and I remember turning around after I'm all duded up, like I'm going down this this tower, and I turn to my dad, Papa, yo no quiero. I and in translation, I don't want to go. <laughs> and he ever so lovingly put his size 14 ring fingered hands on my shoulders, right? Turned me around and pushed me off the tower. And and he yelled, sin miedo, sin miedo. And that, that means literally without fear. And so after he did that, first of all, now people would like report you to, to protective <laughs> yeah. services, right? But I'm so grateful yeah. for that because guess what happened? I had freaking fun. So I went and I did it again and again, and then I did it every year since. So he set the tone to leap. And, and so, and this is my views and not the views of anybody else, but I'm also a Christian person, right? So I'm a person of deep faith. Mm -hmm. And so I don't fear, like, what a gift my parents have given me, right? That what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Right? What's the worst that can happen? Leap. Uh, and here's what I will tell you. In the IC, and I think this is probably the same anywhere that you work, someone taps you on the shoulder to do something, it's not because you suck. Yeah. It's because they think you can help them. And so often we get the tap and we're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm afraid, right? I'm afraid of jumping, but sin miedo, right? That is that upbringing uh, that I'm so blessed with in my faith. Like, who am I going to fear? Yeah. Like, as long as I'm coming in every day, leaving it on the mat, working from my heart, right? Doing the best that I can at the job. Like, on my worst day, I'm still going to be better than most people, uh, and he raised me that way. And my mom, right, still with me, is like, hey, see me. I, 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 I love that. Because I, I think that's something, and I don't know if that is something that comes with age with some people that, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, like, I think now I'm at the point where I don't have any fear. And I'm like, what are they going to do? Say no? Like, okay. Well, <laughs> and so it's funny because one of the big questions I get everywhere that I go is if I could give advice to young Arlene, yeah. what would it be? And it would be, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Like now, you know, my first marriage and then divorce, um, I've lost a child with like at a very advanced stage of pregnancy, right? But now I have my 15 year old, right? I know now at 53 that no matter what kind of bad stuff came my way, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Right. But it, I think it is partly age, right? And the wisdom that comes from screwing up, <laughs> right? Yeah. As you kind of go through life. Yeah. I just think we have to keep saying that. I think there's so many things in life that um, we have to 
voice and verbalize so so the young people coming up can see it doesn't have to be scary it is going to be okay you are going to go through peaks and valleys right but you'll get through all those things so well and the fear doesn't mean that anything is wrong uh-huh. yeah it's it like, doesn't mean that anything is wrong with you yeah yeah like it's just there well my favorite story also about fear so i have a mentor his name is steve and he's wonderful and one time i called him or i was texting him about advice and it was very clear to him that I was self-doubting. And I'm like, I don't want to self-advocate. You know, I'm not. And he's like, call me. And I'm like, uh-oh. You know, when someone says, call me. <laughs> he said three very powerful words that I say to everyone. Uh, and Steve, I'm so grateful for your mentorship. Why not you? Mm-hmm. Why not you? Um, right? And so how you overcome fear is just the same as as that imposter syndrome. Lean in. Mm-hmm. Like, we <laughs> that's what i screamed right as i went off that tower i love that i do too a lot of people have different opinions of the fbi and mm-hmm. so i want to know what you would tell people you have spent your entire career there so you must like it a little bit a little and bit so <laughs> i want you to tell us what like what what are the the things you just love about working there and why would you tell people to come and work there the people the people the people doing the mission, the mission, the mission. Like there, it is an epic mission. And people always ask me, listen, I've been through ups and downs. 32 years, we saw 9-11, right? So all these things that we're going through now, yeah. I don't care what the media says. I'm there every day yeah. working alongside the people, mm-hmm. right? And the work that we do and being a part of the kinds of cases that we've done, you know, uh, just doing victim interviews and trying to help people there's just like i said i've done interviews to go elsewhere but i don't think anything else can feed my soul the way that this does Uh, and what we do every day so when i hear people saying things on me i said guess what my organization is made of human beings is yours right and at the end of the day i've been there for 32 years and i wouldn't be there if it weren't such an amazing place to work with amazing people doing epic work. You, you've said this a couple of times and I'm actually just kind of curious. You've said, feed my soul. Yes. Explain what that means and what that feels like. So I can be making a lot more money somewhere else. <laughs> Feeding my soul work. And it's interesting. So I have a 15 year old and I have a 27 year old. Hey guys, mom's on a podcast. Um, She's amazing. <laughs> they don't think I'm cool at all. I think my 27 year olds figured it out. Right. But at the end of the day, most people get to go to work. Right. And I would say W O R K, not W E R K, which is super fun work. I get to go to work W E R K. Right. And do work that even on the crappiest day, I'm excited to wake up the next morning to come in that I'm proud to say, no matter what anybody's saying or what we're going through as an organization or really as a country, um, I know who we are. I know who we are. Uh, and, and so at the end of the day, to me, when you ask me to define it is, is gives me, it's a calling. It's something that gives me actual joy. Right. And what's interesting is you talked about the analysis. I did well, right. And I'm still an analyst to this day, but the actual work is not something that did that soul feeding. It was the leadership of people, the growing and developing assessing, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, that fed it. And I need to continue to kind of find a way and, and the glass ceiling, you break it. And then there's another one. (laughs) 
right? And it's cold. <laughs> and it's sharp, right? But it's worth it's worth it. So this season's theme, I, I don't know. It, uh, well, people will know when this comes out that you are our season finale. <laughs> oh my god, uh, which is so exciting. Um, we saved. Uh, I don't. I hate. I don't want to say the best for last because that puts everybody else down. But we're really excited that you're our season finale. Um, but um, our season, the season's theme is the butterfly effect and how. People can make change and a, a single person can make change individually, like from person to person. They can make change organizationally and they can make change as one person globally by things that they do. And so I, I know you've given us lots of examples, but could you give us an example in either one of those categories where you felt like you um, contributed to the butterfly effect? So every day. I'm going to give you two words and a story. Shocking. Um, representation. I would say active representation. So there's a, sp a special teacher. Uh, we have a senior leader course in the Bureau. His name is Tony, who helped us kind of chart out what our, in one sentence, what our why is. And my why is to bring about change using my seat at the table. Oh, I love that. Right? And, and so for me... It's still funny when people get excited, like it will to meet me, but I understand the representation part is so important, but what it gives me, right, is the ability to act, mm -hmm. right? And that spotting, developing, assessing, speaking up for, right? And so that mentorship program, uh, when I turned 50 and I was just like, hey, I don't care, what are you going to do, right? I have a legacy. There's seeds planted. Now, not just at the FBI, across the IC and also in private sector, right? People that I have like seen and said, hey, do you have a mentor? Can I work with you? Right. Um, but I would say active representation. So to make permanent change, change that'll stick. Yeah. I love that. And before we ask our final question, we've now spent 40, 45 minutes getting to know you. What is something that people might be surprised to learn about you that not many people know about you? So I think the people closest to me, my team will know that that I think when people tell me, oh my God, you're like so intimidating. So I'm physically like almost six feet tall, um, but I'm a cream puff. Like I, <laughs> I think that's what su would surprise people because I think people see me, they don't know that I battle with insecurity, that I battle with the imposter syndrome, right? Because I'm kind of got that like larger than life persona, right? But they don't know, right, that that I struggle with feeling, am I supposed to be here? Oh my gosh. Like it, and it's really every article you've ever read about uh, the imposter syndrome. But the difference is now I'm like, hey, it's just me. I tell my kids, you do you, boo. Uh, I'm just going to do me. So we've come to the end, which I'm really sad about. That was fast. I'm super I feel really silly. I was so nervous. I do. I feel silly. <laughs> So as you know, the name of our podcast is Iron Butterfly, and we were named after Eloise Page, the first female chief of station at CIA. And uh, she was named Iron Butterfly for being a fierce fighter with a core of steel. If you had to give yourself a code name, what would it be and why? Are you ready for it? We're ready. I need Taylor Swift in the background. Doom, doom, doom. <laughs> Are you ready for it? Corazón. Oh my gosh. Oh, she's going to cry. Uh, and, and so that is the Spanish word for heart. 
And so if, is that a Kleenex behind you? Yes, here. <laughs> so you can be a badass. You can work for the FBI and still have a soft heart. Uh, and and I talked about Shannon before. She's my person, right? Um, I also happened to be my deputy, my last position. But she will tell you that I lead from the heart with logic <laughs> behind it. And I have not diluted that just love for the people and what I do. And what a blessing, right? That after 32 years, I get excited about what I do. And so it would absolutely be corazón. And I'm glad that you guys all knew what that, what that meant. That's why I'm wearing red today. Oh, oh my gosh. And well, we also have to, to uh, point out your pen. Can you tell everyone what it's? Oh, <laughs> do you know what this is? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so <laughs> impressed. So listen, my pen, uh, I love Lin-Manuel Miranda. Lynn, if you're listening, give me a call because I would freak if I got to meet you. Oh, but anyway, oh, uh, please tag Lynn. So uh, I love Lin-Manuel Miranda and this is from his pin collection. Uh, and again, these are my views. In my views only, but <laughs> Not a he, when you talk about active representation, yeah. right, he's a beautiful example with that. But WEPA is like a Puerto Rican term that if you meet a Puerto Rican uh, and you go, WEPA, it's like yeehaw, right? It's like a multi. And, and to me, it just exemplifies the spirit of like my people, my background, the culture, um, and if you guys could see like where I'm from, like growing up, there was a hurricane, right? The wind blew the wrong way. We'd lose power. Mm-hmm. And we're in the part, like we're in the cooking over fire. Like it's, we're just a resilient people. And I love WEPA because it's just, I think the perfect demonstration of that. I love it. Yeehaw. <laughs> Yeehaw. But I'm very impressed you pronounced it correctly. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I'm from Chicago and oh, okay. I grew up in a Hispanic neighborhood. So it, it's you know of which I speak. Yeah, people will go like, "What's Weepa?" and I'm like, "Oh Lord." Oh. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, for saying yes to this. We could not be more thrilled that you know what we we need to do a shout out um, to the person that introduced us, Nazareth. Nazareth. Oh my God. I mean, we love you. We love you because we got to meet Arlene, and now I can't imagine our lives without her. Well, and that's the bow on top, right? Is active representation. Yeah. Uh, I had her come and give a keynote, right? For Disability Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. And it's the first time she told her story. And I said, we got to tell the stories, right? Active representation. It's not enough to be at the table. You got to tell your story or people are not going to be able to like, you know, Stephanie says, see her, be her. Yeah. If you can't see her, you can't be her. And so she's the perfect example. I love her. Khaleesi. We love her. Well, thank you so much. We are so thrilled. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being authentic. Thank you for your service. Um, It's my honor. This is not the end. You're coming back. Okay. (laughs) What do you guys think? Do we want to come back? This has been an episode of Iron Butterfly Podcast. We want to thank the National Security Institute at George Mason Scalia Law School for their technical sponsorship and Amazing Women of the IC for their promotion. To learn more about Iron Butterfly Media, visit our website at www.ironbutterflymedia.com. You can also learn more about NSI and upcoming events at nationalsecurity.gmu.edu. 
To find out more about AWIC, email amazingwomen.ic at gmail.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Lastly, we want to thank our producer, Amanda Young, and Greasy Richburg for marketing assistance. Stay fierce, and we'll talk next time.